We're in Mark chapter 13 today. <laughs> we have a fascination for how things are going to happen in the future. We love to look ahead. I, I, you know, some of us don't. Some of us go, man, Jesus wins. You know, Jesus, uh, that's all I need to know. But other people are fascinated by this idea of what's going to happen. And even, even you'd be surprised. So I was talking to my 11 year old, uh, this past week and I said, Oh, we're, we're in this all of it discourse. And she was like, Oh, dad. Oh no. I'm helping out a nursery. I won't be there. That's my favorite part of the Bible. I was like, favorite part of the Bible. It's like earthquakes and like things flying down from the sky. That's your favorite part of the Bible. Yeah. We long to know what's going to happen, right? We long to look ahead, and that's where we are today. We're in this Olivet Discourse where Jesus, in this in all the synoptics, Jesus sits and talks about what's coming. Really interesting. And there's something for you and I to take away, especially this morning as we look at it. And it's it's a bit longer in, in Matthew's gospel, but we're gonna stick in Mark in chapter thirteen. That's where we are. I hope you don't miss the point that the death of Jesus changes everything. And we all enter into it. And it's coming. And and what we need to do, you and I, we need to have our, our mooring set. We have to have our pillars there. And, and in order to have our pillars in the right spot, we've got to take away some pillars that are normally there. And so I hope we can do that today as we look at this text, that, that we live now in our death throes. I was kind of sad this week. I walked around to our office staff and asked if they knew what the word throw means. They're like, throw a baseball? No, death throws. No, I have no idea. So I guess I'm dating myself that what death throws really are is when you are in your pain before death. Those last moments of pain, suffering, your death throws, you're dying and your limbs are twitching. Yeah, it's that like terrible. But that's what we're talking about today. Agony and discomfort before death. The world won't go down, and the law continues to condemn, and the world continues to fight and argue and try and live like it wants to, and yet in death and resurrection are our only salvation. The passion comes, and it's God's amazing grace that he cuts the passion short. We'll see that by death. Don't be deceived. Okay, so let's take a look. We're going to walk through this whole passage, and we're going to look at it from this perspective. We're going to think on it, and so we're going to start with the center. you got to start with the center. Don't be offended by Jesus on the cross. He died on the cross for you and me, and that's the center. Okay, let's pick it up and, and start in verse 1, chapter 13. Here's Jesus. Remember where he's been. He's come out, he's been arguing with the chief priests, and he's been arguing with the rulers, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and, and before that he was cleaning out the temple. He was he was mad at the money changers. And, and so as they come out, verse 1, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to Jesus, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. <laughs> Verse 
It's almost like they don't know what to say, right? <laughs> and Jesus has been arguing and fighting and like dodging, and they've been trying to tackle him. They haven't been able to. And now they're walking away. Wow, what a beautiful building. I've been in some buildings like that. If you, I mean, I've been in St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna, Stephensplatz. Beautiful, massive cathedral. We just look at it and go, wow, this is, this is amazing. And the architecture and the stones even are so beautiful. By the way, that's always our bent, right? To make pretty things, to build up, to invest, to grow something. So this, this striking statement. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's kind of a bummer. Thanks, Jesus. This beautiful thing, this amazing, gorgeous, pretty temple, in fact, the temple, the very center of worship for Israel, he's saying, hey, sure, the thing to know is they're going to be ripped to shreds, torn down, rubble. All this beauty, all this symbol of God with man, all of it here, gone. So for a minute with me, don't think about future events. Don't think about calendars. Think about what's being said. The beautiful, amazing symbol of God with us for Israel was the temple. Man-made, sure, but precious. A cathedral of worship. It's amazing, right, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, it's going to be torn down. It's going away. This is dramatic destruction, Jesus says. And in verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, thus the Olivet Discourse, opposite the temple, they're looking out on this beautiful structure. Peter and James and John and Andrew, his center clock guys, they asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished on the Mount of Olives, just as close as guys, Jesus, when? When is this being destroyed? Hey, you need to see this in light of what's happening, okay? God has become man, and he's sitting there looking at the temple that that is the symbol of, of God's presence with Israel, but he is actually God's presence with Israel. He's right there. And, and, and the personification of the temple has been standing in the temple. And however much Jesus is going to use sort of conventional end of the age imagery, he's proclaiming that his, his own end in his death and resurrection is the absolute key to it all. Jesus Christ makes himself the cornerstone of it all. We've seen it already, right? The stone the builder has rejected has become the cornerstone. The veil of the temple will be torn when Jesus goes to the cross. Graves will open. The world will enter in to the death of Christ. The suffering of Christ. Not building up towards heaven, but suffering unto death until the resurrection. And so to get the center is to realize Jesus is talking to his guys. They're asking about the temple. Jesus represents the very best of the temple. God with them. I want to know how it's all connected. It's all connected first and foremost by Jesus Christ himself standing there. About to go to the cross for them in the next week. Okay, so keep going and we've got to see. And look the course that he starts to go down. Verse 5. 
Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Okay, something deep and dark and mysterious is happening, and the disciples have sort of started off with some small talk, really, about the beauty of the buildings. But this real question, what will be the miracle of your coming, the consummation of the age? And so Jesus goes on, right, to give many signs of the end of this consummation, but not before he warns the disciples, right, first about, watch out, there are people who want to lead you astray by claiming to be plausible messiahs. I am he. In other words, these problem-solving saviors, rather than problem-sharing ones, not inviting into death, but saying he's going to help you be better. And Jesus says, no, it's not going to happen. The world won't be rescued. All sorts of negative things will happen, right? Wars. Rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines. You know what? I read newspapers, don't you? Have these sorts of things happened? Yeah, they have. Sure they have. There's more wars going on right now than have ever been. And they're terrible, right? Each and every one of them terrible. Millions of people died in World War II. People killing people. Famine causing disease, earthquakes causing destruction. So these things are going to happen, right? Negative things, the greatest human suffering around these things. And he says these are the birth pangs. Okay, don't get caught on, don't get caught on the calendar. Oh, oh, we're going to mark out how many earthquakes are happening. And when there's 25 earthquakes, then we must be really close to the end, like tomorrow. That, that's not it. The issue, Jesus says, is his death, his suffering and death, now leads the whole world down this pathway. This is what's coming, suffering and death, not improvement in life. Because when I think of birth pangs, I think of birth pangs, I think of something really cool, right? I think of a baby. Labor. He's not talking about the baby. Jesus isn't right now. He's talking about the mom. This passage is about the mom dying because that's you and I in the flesh right now. I remember, <laughs> I remember it was, I was a resident and I was working in Sacramento and there's a hospital that I was taking, one of the people I was taking care of, I think she was in her sixties, but she had pancreatic cancer that had metastasized to her bones. And, um, I took care of her for about 10 days. And what happened was over that course, we started giving her, trying to help her pain because she was in the most worst pain. It's terrible, terrible pain. And so we started giving her doses of medication to help her pain, and it would help a little, but then it would break through, and it help a little, break through, and you kept doubling the dose, and we're giving her doses of medications that if you took a tenth of it, you'd die. They're that strong. 
And eventually at the end of those 10 days after she'd suffered and we trying and suffered and we're trying and suffered and we're trying and doubling all this medication. And one of the side effects of the medication is it makes you not breathe as much. And so finally at those 10 days, she died. And I don't know, was it the medication making her not breathe? Or was it just finally the cancer being done? But as her doctor, I'll say this. Her struggle was done. It was such a relief for her to be out of pain. Peace finally did it, right? Death brought peace. That, that, that's what he's talking about. When you talk about Jesus' passion, it's about his suffering. The amazing suffering of Jesus for us. And then finally, death. And then here comes the world, right? The birth pains. What are the birth pains of us finally being being done? And and that's why for Christianity, this is huge. I don't know. I think that, that people generally don't like the idea of our only hope being Jesus, our only hope not being here, of not building a new temple, of not being about improvement and increase and a stronger world, but about hope in a coming king through death. Death, by the way, that hits every person in the room. And here Jesus, just before he goes to the cross, he says, the world will follow. Everything's going down. And by the way, death is a mercy. We saw it after Jesus' resurrection. We saw Christians persecuted, killed, martyred. And Jesus knows that. That's part of the passion. The passion is suffering and death ends it. He even says, doesn't he, in verse 9, but be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. It's coming. This is the course of history, Jesus says. I'm suffering and the world enters in too and you're in the world. It's it's funny how people take this last verse, verse 10, to mean, okay, the gospels must first be proclaimed to all nations. Let's get her done. Like somehow what Jesus is giving them is a charge to go do. He's not. He's telling them the course of history. He's saying the world will hear this. Don't worry about preparation even. Don't worry about how to say it. Don't plan it out. Just as you live, no. This is our hope. Jesus Christ died for us. And he will raise us again. Good news to the dying. Look, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand what you're to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child That's to death. And children, his parents, and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endures means holds on to this upside-down message of full forgiveness in Jesus, of life being through death and resurrection, not increasing power. Just show up. I just show up. What do I show up and do? I show up with the only hope I've ever come to know, which is Jesus Christ died for my sin. He forgives me. It is finished. Full stop. 
And then I show up again tomorrow. And, and you know what? In all the places that we are, in all the places, in the workplaces, and the, the lives, and the paths, and the gods over it all, in all those places, he's using you as you hold on to that, to share that message with other people. You don't have to worry about prepping it. That's what he's saying, right? And you don't have to think it's going to be embraced. Because what he's talking about is sort of letting the folly of the world, the rebellion of the world, go all the way into death, and then he's going to bring resurrection out of that death. So so watch out a bit as we talk, look at these lenses of what our Savior's saying, because so often what the church is about, our cure of choice, is often not death to resurrection, but more doomed living. Take your fallenness and patch it up. So sort of this idea of sick to less sick, like the hospital's about curing you so you can go and be better. It's not. It's a hospice. We're a hospice. We're dying. We have this word, the one who endures to the end will be saved, that we link arms and say, I believe this Jesus, and it worked what Jesus did. And so Jesus tells his disciples that the authentic sign of his coming is their enduring to the end, the unrightness of it all. Jerusalem will fall. The temple will be profaned. The Jewish nation will be scattered. And Jesus appears then to look ahead into the end. The final throes of this death pangs for the world that now has lasted centuries. When he says this in verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, pause with me for a minute, because this is a big hinge. Uh, most people, when they start to read this stuff, and it's kind of confusing, and they say, well, well, let's try and figure it out. This is a hinge, especially in Matthew, where they say Jesus has been talking about the general course of history, but now he looks further ahead to this stuff that's coming. And the, this phrase, abomination and desolation, a lot of people point to similar expressions in Daniel. Because in Daniel chapter 9, and then again in Daniel chapter 11, And again in chapter 12, it refers to this abomination of desolation and is talking about this crazy bad stuff that happened in the temple. Most people think that what it refers to is there's this guy, and I don't want to bore you with history, but history is amazing. That 200 years before Jesus came, Antiochus Epiphanes, Greek came in and destroyed the temple there and built an altar to Zeus. And on that altar to Zeus, he sacrificed pig's blood. That is an abomination. So people think, okay, there's this abomination that happens when you come into the temple and just like that guy, that 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 Antiochus Epiphanes, he's, he's, he's a picture even of something else that's going to happen that's just an abomination. That's coming. <laughs> Most people think too, I, again, a lot of folks think that what then this is referring to is just like that in very similar means. The, the Roman came in this, Titus, Andronicus, came in in AD 70 after Jesus goes to the cross and 35 years later comes in and there's, there's a rebellion in, in, Jerusalem, and they put it down, and they destroy the temple, this building Jesus is referred to. And they actually end up 
about 30 years after that, putting up a temple to Jupiter there. Abomination. Other gods being worshipped where the temple should be. So this whole idea Jesus is saying to his guys as they sit there, who've said, how beautiful this building is, you don't even understand. Everything's going down, you see. The destruction of the temple, the ceremonies and the law is done. Why is it done? Because the death of Jesus has happened. And, and, and how does the death of Jesus affect the world? The whole world now is marching towards death. It won't ultimately get better. It ultimately gets worse. This isn't sort sort of soft statement. It's tragic and hard and suffering. Look, let the one who's on the housetop not go down or enter his house to take anything out and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Ouch. Right? And, and now when he starts speaking in superlatives, most people say, okay, well, what he's looking at is the scope of history. And now he's looking at the very end when there's this great tribulation coming and it's not gotten better and it's just getting worse and the whole course has been sort of bad, 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 ouch. Right? And then for the sake of the elect whom he chose... He cuts short these days. So he's, he's talking about the passion of Israel, and there's this reference you feel like he's he's using almost as an image how the temple's going to come down and, and the, the Romans are going to come in and they're going to wipe out a lot of Jews. But there's this wider meaning, I think, a reference to death itself. Jesus' passion in the gospel, right? Think about it with me. Jesus' passion in the gospel is cut short by something. What is it cut short by? Death. Jesus was whipped. He was scourged. That means strips were taken off his back. He couldn't even walk. He was crucified on a cross. And and eventually what happened is he stopped suffering by what? Death. Now death didn't hold him. Death cuts short sin in our present follow lives. It becomes the good news of Jesus' death. The sole condition of our being raised to newness of life is by the power of his resurrection. What do I bring to it? My death. All our days have been cut short. The world's and Jerusalem's and yours and mine. It it ends because we can't lift. It's too much of a heavy lift to do the law. This is huge, that Jesus' suffering, his passion, brings the world's suffering in, and then death comes, and there's a warning in the midst of it, this warning to stay alert. The warning is there's going to be a lot of people who won't go there. This is the warning to hear. In the midst of Jesus saying, it's going down, guys, and you're my guys, you're the people I want you to know. You're my inner core, and I'm telling you this important stuff, but but here's this. And if anyone says to you, look, 
Here's the Christ. Or look, there he is. Don't believe it. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I told you all things beforehand. So these warnings are that you could be led astray. The church kind of as the chosen, right? As the elect. This false Christ stipulating sort of spiritual signs and wonders by which, by which you think the kingdom can be brought in while we're alive. I think this looks at the Bible as something you're going to do. These false prizes. Paul, the propriety of, of the property of Jesus in the good and the spiritual and us building and us getting things bigger and us building walls and temples and us building big things instead of us saying, no, my, my hope is in this Savior who says, though I die, yet I shall live. Which is why things like the prosperity gospel, right? You know, the prosperity gospel is really common. It's all over Africa where I got to go to be a missionary. It's all over. Man, if you have faith enough, God will bless you. Why? Because God wants to bless his kids and he's going to bless you. Why is he blessing you? Well, you must not have enough faith. What's the blessing? More stuff. Because that's what God wants for you is lots of stuff. Your best life now. Have you heard that phrase? You should be living your best life now. Why aren't you? You just haven't appropriated it. You know what Jesus says? Death is coming. If you heard, we're part of a gradual improvement of the world so that God is finally ready to arrive. There are believers who do, we're, we're on this track where we're trying to slowly bring in the gospel by our steady improvements that we do over time, and we're just prepping it so that finally God says, yes, yes, it's nice enough, here I come. This puts that to rest, right? Jesus is saying, no, that's not what's happening. We're part of a full, slow advancement of humankind, finally establishing by God's power his reign on earth. No, don't believe it. Why not? Because that's not what Jesus said. He said this. It's not about healings and ending suffering and getting better. Even though, you know what? I long, I, I took an oath to try and suffering and I want to. I hate it. But you and I and every other living being on this earth are part of the world. We are suffering from cancer, if you will. And in the midst of suffering, and and what will lead us out of it is what? We die. And in Christ, we will live. That's what we read this morning. And that's right, right. uh, Death, where's your victory? Where, where's the... Where's death going, right? Because you actually have this idea that that we're sowed perishable, but we're raised imperishable. We're sowed in weakness, but we're raised in power. Do you see that divide? It's not a continuity. It's not a, I came to Jesus and now I slowly get better. It's I was sown in perishable means I'm dying, and yet I will be raised. I'm sown in weakness. I'm not strong now, and yet I'll be raised in power. But Paul puts this break We don't say, oh, now I believe in Jesus and this new heart that I was given, so now I'm shining in glory. No! I'm entering into death with, by the way, every other saint that has gone before me. 
every other amazing child of God who has held on to Jesus until their end when death claimed them and they went to their rest and Jesus will raise them from the dead. Wow. That, that's what he's getting at, right? Watch out for people who don't want to say that. So, so we slow down because, because in Christ we live. We're not done with the passage. We, I want to slow down just for a minute because I think now, now Jesus really looks far ahead. And I think that what he's done in looking at this arc of what's coming in history, he looks to the end, the real end, when all the symptom management hasn't worked and, and, and when all the suffering is at its peak and the world finally ends. And so stay with us to get to the end. Verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. This is the hour of grace, the moment before the general resurrection, when a whole dead world lies still, when all the successes that could never save it, all the failures that could never undo, have gone out into the silence of Jesus' death and, and, and it's, it's, it's done. There are powers at play that we cannot control. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory. This is the hour of judgment, right? The moment of the resurrection when the whole world receives its new life out of death. And it's the moment of hell when those who find they can't return to their old lives of estrangement, right? They foolishly mourn their loss of nothing. They refuse to accept the only reality that there is, Jesus Christ in glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. And this at last is the end. Jesus, the Son of God, speaking, saying this is what's going to happen. The triumph of Jesus the acceptance that is heaven and the rejection that is hell and the difference between the two is do you trust Jesus? He has given faith to us. Those who receive him, those who hold not to their improvement in life, but to their resurrection from the dead. And with this, Jesus closes by answering their actual question. Because remember, the actual question is, when is this stuff happening? And they've been looking, and Jesus has said, when the temple is going to be torn down. And so this is what he says. He says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words on earth, but my words will not pass away. Verse 30 there, C.S. Lewis called the most difficult verse in the Bible. Because he's talking about what's going to happen and how things are going to end. And he seems to say it's going to happen in this generation. And I think what he's talking about is the actual beginning of when this happens. The temple gets destroyed and they all get to see it. The symbol of God with man, the symbol of the law and law keeping, the symbol of keeping yourself right before God by keeping his commandments. It's going away. 
It's getting destroyed. And they get to see it happen there in AD 70. That, that's what happens. It's gone. And you'll see the suffering and death of the Son of God. That's what they're about to see. The Savior of the world and the passion that becomes our passion. The suffering that we enter into, right? By our baptism with Him. By our connection to Jesus. Saying, yes, Jesus, I believe. I die with you. And I will be raised to new life. By your promise. In the midst of our systems failing, and they are, in the midst of climate change or whatever else is happening in our world that we have caused or haven't caused, the world is going down. We are of the world. We go down too. Our trust is we will be resurrected. By his promise we live. You say, that's all well and good, Dax. That's great. But when does he actually return? And here's what Jesus does. He won't say I've been waiting for 2,000 years. Jesus, come back, and it's so long, Jesus. Is it even real? Yeah, those who endure to the end will be saved. Hold on. Look how Jesus says he won't say, because he says there in 32, but concerning that day or the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you don't know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all. Stay awake. <laughs> Stay awake. That, that, that means what? Be aware as these things happen and things don't go well and things don't go as you think they ought to go. Stay awake. What does that mean? Your hope is in Jesus. We don't know the time, but we know this. He's coming. He's coming again. Okay. Thus we hear today, stay awake. Awake to what? What your salvation is. To suffering and death being the road by which we get to heaven. The suffering and death of Jesus, right? He's already done it. I spent my life learning how to stop suffering, how to find its causes and to make it better. But you know what? The world's disease is a terminal one. And the falling asleep we do is that we think it isn't. We look at the beauty that surrounds us because God made this world. We look at the beauty of new life because God gives life. We get look at the beauty of temporal things and we start to think, yeah, this is where it's at. But the message that Jesus gives us today is this is not where it's at. Our only hope is in him resurrecting you and me from the dead. Our meaning and value aren't in the things that are here. They're in the one who died on a tree. And he says, trust me as the world falls apart. Trust me as you're rejected. Trust me as even people who say they believe in Jesus really believe in their own accomplishments and their buildings and stuff. Stay awake. Stay here at the foot of the cross where Jesus, who knows all these things, says he has you forever and what is coming is better. And you know what? I'm I'm telling you, don't be... Don't be deceived. The passion comes to us all. 
you have been touched, and but not you, you sure your mind could probably go there. All the ways that you've already suffered, all the things that have already happened to you and people you love. You say, does God not love us? Yes, he does love you. He proved it on the tree. He died for your sins, and he tells us the world is falling apart. And our hope is not that we never suffer. Our hope is that our suffering ends. What does it end in? Death. So that we might be what? Raised. We will be raised. In the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet, we will be raised. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Death has been swallowed up, right? In the victory of Christ. This is what we hold to. Death has lost its sting. It now can be a comfort because from that death we will live. He forgives every sin. He embraces you and me simply by trusting that he's done it. Stay awake. Endure with me to the end, William. Let's pray.